0: This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a Ph.D. in Counselor Education and Supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the case of Sid Vicious and Nancy Spungen? Simon John Ritchie was born in London, England on May 10, 1957. Some sources have his name as John Simon Ritchie, for example, his death certificate. Either way, he was known professionally as Sid Vicious, so I will refer to him as Sid. Sid's father, John, was a guardsman at Buckingham Palace and a fairly good trombone player. His mother, Anne, had spent time in the British Army. Sid's father had made a commitment to support him and his mother, but he did not honor it. Anne found a new lover, a man named Christopher Beverly. They married in 1965. Six months later, Christopher died from kidney failure. Sid and his mother moved to a few different places in England, but he spent a good deal of time in London. In 1973, when Sid was a student at a technical college, he met a man named John Lydon. On one occasion, Sid was bitten by John's pet hamster, Sid. He exclaimed, Sid is really Vicious. John gave him the nickname Sid Vicious. It would appear that Sid Vicious was named after an attack hamster. Throughout his brief career, he would bring embarrassment to attack hamsters everywhere, permanently tarnishing their image as the exuberant yet responsible peacekeepers of the pet rodent world. Now moving to the background of Nancy Spungen. Nancy was born in Philadelphia on February 27, 1958. Her birth was complicated, the umbilical cord wrapped around her neck during delivery, and she almost died. The physicians believed that her brain was not damaged, so she was released eight days later. Nancy would scream and throw temper tantrums all the time. She was prescribed a barbituate when she was only three months old. Nancy's mother would later say that she knew it was normal for babies to scream, but Nancy did nothing but scream. Nancy repeatedly exhibited violent and manipulative behavior. She would often just scream until she received what she wanted. She threatened to use scissors to kill her babysitter, and she attacked her mental health clinician. Nancy was kicked out of public school at age 11. Her parents sent her to private schools after this. Nancy graduated from high school in 1974 and was accepted at the University of Colorado, Boulder. While taking classes there, she was arrested for buying marijuana from an undercover officer and, during a separate incident, arrested for possessing stolen property. In 1975, when Nancy was 17, she was expelled from the school and moved to New York City. She earned a living as a sex worker. Not long after this, Sid Vicious had started his musical career. He was with a few bands before being invited to join the punk rock band Sex Pistols in 1977. Nancy had become a groupie for several bands. She flew to London, and this is when she met Sid Vicious. Sid and Nancy became romantically involved. Sid had some success with the Sex Pistols, but the band started to fall apart due to a number of circumstances, including... Sid's increasing usage of heroin, and disagreements among the band members. The band disintegrated in early 1978, and Sid started his solo career. Nancy functioned as his manager, in addition to being his girlfriend. Sid and Nancy engaged in quite a bit of antisocial behavior, including fighting and excessive drug use. The tabloids referred to Nancy as nauseating Nancy due to her disruptive behavior in public. Even though Sid did perform on occasion, he and Nancy spent much of their time using heroin. In August of 1978, they moved into the Hotel Chelsea in New York City. Now moving to the timeline of the crime. On October 12, 1978, Sid and Nancy were in their hotel room using heroin and other drugs. At 2.30 a.m., Nancy asked a comedian named Michael Moore, who went by the stage name Rockets Red Glare, to get lauded, This is an opioid analgesic that goes by the generic name hydromorphone. At 7.30 a.m., a guest in another room heard what they described as female moans. At 10 a.m., Sid Vicious called the front desk of the hotel asking for assistance. Nancy had been stabbed one time in her abdomen with a five-inch knife. She bled to death on the bathroom floor. She was 20 years old. The police found Sid wandering the hallways and arrested him. Sid supplied the police with several different stories about what happened that night. First, he said he didn't know what happened, but he knew he didn't stab Nancy. His next story was that he stabbed her, but he didn't mean to kill her. His final story was that she must have fallen on the knife. It was an accident. Sid Vicious was charged with second-degree murder. After he was released on bond, he unsuccessfully attempted to end his life. He was arrested again in December of 1978 for committing an assault in a bar. Witnesses said that out of nowhere, Sid attacked a man named Todd Smith with a broken beer bottle. On February 1, 1979, Sid was once again released on bond. By this time, Sid already had a new girlfriend, Michelle Robinson. That same day, a number of his friends met at Michelle's apartment in Manhattan They were having a party for Sid to celebrate his release on bond. I think this really demonstrates the impulsive and short-sighted nature of this community. He still had to face trial, but they wanted to celebrate that he was out on bond. One has to wonder if they wouldn't really use any reason to celebrate. Sid Vicious used heroin and quaaludes that night and died from an overdose the next morning on February 2, 1979. He was 21 years old. With their only suspect dead, the police closed the case of Nancy Spongeon's death. Now moving to my analysis. Sid Vicious did not have any musical talent, but the band Sex Pistols let him join, hoping that he would develop some musical skills. They said he had no work ethic and was very lazy. He never learned anything and had no aptitude for music whatsoever. Sid Vicious was reckless, violent, had poor boundaries, and was out of control. He was also described as shy around women. Nancy Spungen was diagnosed with schizophrenia at a young age, but it's not clear if she really had schizophrenia. Her behavior was so aggressive and manipulative, mental health clinicians may have been tempted to assign her a diagnosis to compel some type of treatment. Nancy had an atypical style for a punk rock band groupie. She never advertised or promoted herself as an aspiring actress, model, or musician. Rather, she told people she was a prostitute. She was able to get close to the band members through buying drugs for them and having sex with them. Members of various bands and other people who were on the punk rock scene during the late 1970s made it clear that Nancy was intolerable. Other than being described as intelligent and streetwise, all of the other characteristics people mentioned were negative. A few examples. She was described as domineering, combative, abrasive, irritating, loud, repulsive, annoying, forceful, whiny, over-the-top, obnoxious, a troublemaker, a lowlife, and a bad influence on people. It sounds like she really made an impression on people. Sid's friends wanted him to dump Nancy, but he claimed to be in love with her. They spent a lot of time together using drugs. Sid did not date anyone else when he was with her. People put up with Nancy's bad behavior because if they didn't, they could not hang out with Sid Vicious. Again, Sid and Nancy were always together. Nancy would have been rejected from the punk rock scene, if not for her relationship with Sid. I find this interesting. Nancy was too repulsive, obnoxious, abrasive, and combative to be part of the 1970s punk rocker community. That's kind of like saying someone's too strong to be a weightlifter or too fast to run track. Allegedly is back for Season 2, a new crime every time. In each episode of Allegedly, you'll hear a crime told to you by the person who experienced it, intermingled with actor portrayals, original music, immersive soundscapes, to create a cinematic experience for your ear. Season 2's stories include a young woman finding salvation in God, only to realize the leader of her church was running a sex cult. A case of a con artist swindling a kindly older man until he couldn't do anything to stop her. A landlord exploiting a mentally disabled man and keeping him a virtual prisoner. An act of bullying spinning a promising young man's life into total chaos. And a luxury boat captain inexplicably detained in a foreign prison with seemingly no hope of ever getting out. New episodes release every other week. Look for Allegedly from Voyage Media anywhere you listen to podcasts. to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Sid's life was already unstable before he started seeing Nancy. Afterward, it was constant chaos. Now moving to the question, did Sid Vicious kill Nancy Spongeon? Let's take a look at the factors both for and against the idea that he was guilty, starting with the inculpatory factors. Sid Vicious had a history of antisocial behavior. He once strangled a cat with a belt in front of his friends. And he randomly attacked a man in a bar while out on bond for murder. Sid not only used heroin, but a number of other drugs, some of which may have contributed to impulsive and reckless behavior. Sid was in the hotel room with Nancy, when she died. She was stabbed with a knife that was found in the room. At one point, he admitted to the police that he was responsible. Sid's mother claimed that she found a note in the pocket of Sid's leather jacket after he was dead, which suggested there was some type of death pact, like Sid and Nancy had both decided to die. Moving to the exculpatory evidence, fingerprints from six different people known to the police were found in the hotel room none of them were ever questioned. The police only ever questioned Sid. After Nancy was stabbed, it took three hours for her to bleed to death. Why didn't she simply walk out of the hotel room to get help or call somebody? After she was stabbed, she walked into the bathroom, which is where she died. If it was Sid's intention to kill Nancy, why wouldn't he kill her in a more expedient fashion? For example, by stabbing her multiple times. Several witnesses noticed that Sid and Nancy had piles of money in the hotel room, yet the police didn't find any money there. A few other people had spent some time in the hotel room on October 12. One was Michael Mora, the comedian who went by the name Rockets Red Glare. He was there to deliver drugs. Perhaps he stabbed Nancy and took the money. Really, any number of people could have entered the room, stabbed her, and taken the money. Nancy was notorious for showing off money with no regard for her safety. Michael denied involvement in Nancy's death, but he also confessed to his friends that he was responsible. He may have just been trying to show off, but this is still exculpatory. It provides an alternate theory of the crime. Interestingly, even when Michael was denying being the killer, he said that Sid definitely was not the killer. If Sid Vicious was the killer, why would he wipe off the knife and leave it on a suitcase by the door? Witnesses said that Sid was too high to carry out the murder. He was unconscious much of the time, and even when he was awake, he was too sedated to do anything. It's worth noting that Sid did make his way to a methadone clinic before calling for help. He may have been sedated, but he was still able to visit the clinic, so he was functioning. It's a bit of an understatement to suggest that Nancy had made enemies. She was pretty much universally despised. Several people had a motive to harm her. Also, it is possible that Nancy stabbed herself. She engaged in a lot of dramatic and aggressive behavior. It's not unthinkable that she did this because she was angry. She had used so much heroin, perhaps she didn't realize what she had done or how seriously she was wounded. When considering all the evidence, do I think that Sid Vicious was guilty I believe Sid was guilty in reality, but I do not think he was guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. A proper investigation was never carried out. There's just too much information that we don't know. For example, there's no information about the other people who were in the room around the time of Nancy's death. I think the bottom line here is that the police made up their mind right away that Sid was guilty. He was the obvious suspect to them. Under the influence of drugs, Sid made that confession, and from the point of view of the police, he looked guilty. A violent and reckless punk rocker who uses heroin is not going to get the benefit of the doubt from the police. Getting arrested for assault right after being released on bond did not help his case either. Now, moving to my final thoughts. This case is about two young people that struggled from mental health issues and demonstrated dangerous tendencies. They were each on a perilous path when they met each other. After they became a couple, their worst attributes combined to accelerate their destruction. Sid's money and fame gave them access to drugs and to a culture which encouraged substance use. Nancy had already been enamored with punk rock culture, and this only encouraged Sid to be more reckless, to be a more extreme punk rocker. Under any other circumstances, these two would have been ignored and their struggles forgotten. Unfortunately, Society does not have much concern when drug users die in drug-related situations. Because Sid Vicious was technically the member of a band, which had become somewhat popular, his case has become romanticized. But this truly doesn't change the essence of the case. This story was not about a glorious career cut short. Rather, it was about the unknown potential of two people, which would never be realized because of their tragic deaths. Not long before Nancy died, Sid and Nancy were expressing concerns about not being able to recapture their glory days. I think this illustrates how distorted their thinking was. They believed they had glory days to recapture. From their point of view, their experiences had been positive. When they should have been focused on the future, they were grieving a past they never had. It gave them an excuse to demonstrate reckless abandon, which led to a familiar outcome in the world of impulsive musicians from the 1970s. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa, vita Brevis.